it is an honor to be with you. I'm excited for what God has already done and what he is gonna do. He has something special for each and every single one of us. We're in a series called Winning in the Wait. Pastor Kevin has spoken on this topic for the last two weeks and last week he left us with the conversation that there is a law called the law of the harvest that there must be sowing before there can be reaping. And there must be planting before there can be a harvest. And the in between those things, there is time. James Cameron, does anybody know that name? James Cameron understood what time can do. He is um, the guy who uh, put out the movie, The Avatar. Anybody see the most recent one, The Way of the Water? Well, the first movie, The Avatar, came out in 2009. It brought in over $2 billion in the box office and sales and saw nine Academy Award nominations. But what I didn't know was that he started working on this movie in 1994. And that it is said that James Cameron would draw on every science fiction book that he read. And he began to sketch out Avatar and starting in 1994. He actually wanted to release the movie in 1999, but didn't because of underdeveloped technology. And so he waited. And he allowed the process of time to develop technology so that it could get to a place where he knew it was ready and finally released the movie in 2009. But it started in 1994. Julia Child knew the meaning of what time could do. I think she's incredible. Um, there was a movie that came out a few years ago about her too. Um, but she was the author of the well-renowned book, Mastering the Art of French Cooking, which is considered an irreplaceable resource by chefs the world over. She was actually well into her 30s before she began to learn to cook. Julia was raised in a home with a chef. And so while she was called a ravenous child and loved to eat, <laughs> she never actually learned to cook until she was in her 30s. She actually graduated from Smith's College with an English degree and was working as a writer when World War II broke out. She was motivated by her sense of adventure and so she joined what was called the Office of Strategic Services or the OSS, which is a precursor to today's CIA. And she became a research assistant. I mean, that is just cool by itself. But then she got married, and in this day and age, a good wife cooked for her husband. And so she had to learn to cook. And so she wanted to take classes, but the classes that she engaged in started to spark something, and she realized there was something more there. And so she actually enrolled, on, or enrolled into the prestigious Le Cordon Bleu. Is that okay? but she was the only female in her class. And she focused so much on the more strenuous and hard recipes that she flunked, but she was able to take it again. And then she decided that she wanted to make French cooking more accessible to American women like herself. And that is where this book comes into play. But no one wanted the book because it was too encyclopedic. 
and it was too big and too cumbersome. And it would be 10 years after she wrote it that it would be published. Scott Weaver was called the mad scientist behind the toothpick sculpture that you'll see behind me. It's called Rolling Through the Bay. And I looked at these images, which include, uh, well, let me explain the structure a little bit. It's not just a toothpick sculpture that is nine feet tall and seven feet wide and two feet deep, but it models San Francisco made entirely of toothpicks. It includes the rice trolley, his childhood home that he grew up in in Little China. But it also doubles as a ping pong ball course with multiple tracks for ping pong balls to enter and exit. And I looked at that and I thought, did the guy never have laundry to do? But it took him 34 years to complete. The Brooklyn Bridge took over 14 years to complete. And the reason that's important is because during the time that it was being built, it also claimed over two dozen lives, including the original architect, Joe Roebling. And it endured incessant criticism from those who were waiting on it to be built. Has anybody ever been to New York? I don't think that New York is a very patient. So 14, yeah, I love you, but 14 years to someone in New York might feel like 34 years. But to this day, it allows traffic, it carries traffic across the East River daily with only a few modifications to the original design to allow modern transfer, transportation. The next thing is really gonna wow you, and it's a ball of dough. There it is. It looks so meager compared to everything else. But this is my dough. And I wanted to share it with you because I am in no means a baker, but I took up baking about five years ago. Uh, as I find it comforting. I love the process of baking. I love that if I do what a recipe tells me to do, it should come out the right way. Um, somebody said yes over here, like that was the Holy Spirit just touched someone. Uh, there is something cathartic about baking, and my husband laughs because when I was making this ball of dough, I was like just beating it and punching it. There was about 30 minutes of work that had already gone into this little lump. And then I would shape it, and then it would have to prove for about an hour. And then it would have to prove for a second hour. And then finally, when it would go to bake it, it would have to bake for about 30 to 40 minutes before I would actually get just this loaf of bread. Thank you. Thank you. I was not expecting applause over that. I appreciate it. But the reason that I bring all of this up is because time is an important tool. The time is an important tool to us. Time is an important tool in the hands of God. See, he is not limited to time. God stands outside of time. He has the ability to see the beginning, the middle, and the end all at the same time. And so because of this, it only takes him a moment, a moment 
to heal, a moment, a word to correct, an instant to renew, to create, to restore. God is not limited to time. But often the resolution of our present circumstances do not come in a moment, but take time. And so my pastoral answer to this is for the same reason that God can respond so quickly. It is that God is not limited to time, but that time is a tool in his hands. And that while God is concerned about your circumstances, you are far more important to him. You see, while I was preparing for this message, I was doing research on all of these projects. And I looked at these cool works that I just shared with you today, Avatar and the mastering of art of French cooking and rolling through the bay and the Brooklyn Bridge. And it was right around the end of that that I heard the Holy Spirit whisper to my heart and ask me a question. He asked me, who are you in these examples? And I thought about it for a moment and then I decidedly answered, I am Julia or James. And he whispered back, you are always the creation. I am always the creator. And today I believe that the Lord wants to remind us that when we wait, he is working. Yes, on our circumstances, but he is working on us. See, there is winning in the wait, and there is a process, a process for each of us to go through. So my question for you today is, have you stopped? Are there places in your life that you have quit or walked away from because the process of waiting has been too much? See, I think we all understand that waiting will happen until it happens to us personally. (laughs) And something we see in the narrative scripture is that often that waiting is not just waiting when we're walking with the Lord, but there is a process that is involved. If we recall the stories of Joseph, Joseph has a dream when he's a teenager, but it's something like 15 years later that that dream is realized. So what happens in between? Are we just waiting for time to pass? Or is God doing something inside of Joseph to make this dream come to pass? We see the story of David who's called out of the field while he's watching sheep. And he's anointed king over all of Israel. But it'll be something like 15 years before he's actually crowned king. Are we just waiting for time to pass or is God doing something in David? See, David learned to trust the Lord and he learned who not to put his trust in. While he waited, he went through the process. Say process. See, in our our main text today, we'll come from the book of Ruth and no one panic because Ruth is very short, but we will get a lot of good truth out of this book today. I felt the Lord give us Ruth today to look at and here's some things that I recognize from the onset. 
Nowhere in this scripture of the book of Ruth does Ruth have a dream, or does a prophet come to Ruth, or does the Lord send an angel, but rather we still see the hand of God move in her life as she continues to do the right thing again and again. And while I'm thankful for the stories of David and of Joseph and those like them who heard a word from the Lord and then obeyed that word, I am thankful for Ruth today who shows me what it looks like to obey the scriptures, to obey what God has already said. And secondly, Ruth is a story of great loss. Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, lose their husbands. They lose their way of life, and their worlds are completely changed as they're forced to move from their home to avoid starvation. And here's the other thing that I think that the Lord wants to show us today, is that there is a difference between believing God for the very first time, which is special and wonderful, when God calls us out to follow him the very first time, There's a unique faith to that. But when you follow him and your world changes and catastrophe hits and you were given the opportunity to follow God again, to believe God again, to trust God again, that requires a new faith. And I don't know where you are today, but I believe that the Holy Spirit does. And I believe that there are people in this room today who need to trust God again. Potentially your world is in a place where you need to believe God again. You need to trust him again, that he is still working while you're waiting and that you're walking through a process, that you're going through a process. Will you pray with me today as we get into this text? And here's what I'm going to ask you to pray. Not that you would just hear the word of God, but that you would allow yourself to be mastered by the word of God. That we would submit ourselves to the word of God today. Amen? So Lord, we do, we pause one more time in this service and we ask that as you speak, that we would hear your word. And as we hear your word, that we would allow you authority, permission, to do whatever it is that you want to do in our lives today. And we don't seek to just hear your word, but to allow it to master our hearts, our minds, and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're in the book of Ruth. If you have your Bible, you have your copy of God's word, or you have an electronic version that's still wonderful, please open up to the book of Ruth today. And I'm going to literally go through every chapter, but quickly. All right, chapter one, in this chapter, we learn that this, our our story takes place during the time of the judges, which is the time before Israel had a king. We learn that there's a great famine in the land, and a man who is from Bethlehem moves his family, who is himself, his wife, and his two sons, to a land called Moab. And while he is there, his two sons grow of age and they marry Moabite women. And while they're there, about 10 years later, he dies. And then his two sons die. 
And this is where the central focus of our story takes place. There are now three widows. Naomi, who's an Israelite, she is the mother-in-law. And then Ruth and Orpah, who are not Israelites. And for the purpose of today's message, it is important that we all understand that, that they are a group of people called Gentiles. But they are not Israelites. And so we're going to pick up in chapter 1 and verse 6. And this says, when she, Naomi, heard that, heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters, daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. In verse 8, then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in another husband. So some quick cultural context. By Naomi doing this, she is granting them safety. She is granting them safety by sending them home. See, in this world, a woman's only provision was limited by husbands or fathers or brothers who would care for them financially. They were destitute. They would starve to death. So that's the reason that Naomi was going to go home to Bethlehem because finally there's food there and she can go home and find food there. So she's sending her Moabite daughter-in-laws to their homes so that they might find husbands who would provide for them. Naomi realized that by coming home with her, it would be much harder for them to secure a home, a husband, and a future. But in verse 14, We read this, at this they wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. In verse 15, look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Go back with her. And here's kind of the crux of our whole message today. Chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separate you and me. And Ruth begins the process. Say process one more time. The work in the waiting. Ruth is currently in the in-between, the process. And we're defining the process today as work in the waiting. For those of us in Christ, we live a life poured out in full surrender as we wait on the Lord. And we should wait on the Lord. He is our provider, so we wait on his timing. We wait on his provision for his hand to move on our behalf in the midst of our situation. And we do this out of a deep trust in him. Scripture tells us, Psalm 37, 7 says, be still before the Lord and wait for him patiently. Psalm 46, 10 says, be still and know that I am God. The book of Ruth shows us that there is a godly intersection where waiting on God meets our obedient action. Where in the absence of direction, we continue to do the last right thing we heard God tell us to do. 
where in the lack of clarity, we remain consistent in the things we've already committed to do. See, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ Jesus, I have direction even when I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. See, Matthew, 20, or sorry, Matthew 6, 33 tells me that I am to seek the kingdom of God. There's a good verb for me to do. I can seek the kingdom of God first, and he'll add everything else to me. Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 tells me to take his yoke upon me. There's another good verb. Galatians 2, 20 tells me that I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but he lives through me. See, I know that there are things I can do even when I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. So while I might be waiting on God in my situation, that is not synonymous with inactivity. Not if I'm living a life submitted to the authority, to the word of God. In the same way that Joseph served in Potiphar's house and then in prison before his dream was realized. Or in the same way that David watched over sheep and took out a bear and a lion before he took out Goliath, before he was crowned king. There is often work in the waiting, and this is the process. Waiting in obedience and working in obedience that is where we make space for the hand of God to move in our lives. And this is what we see in the whole of the book of Ruth. We see that process lacks punctuation. Ruth commits everything to Naomi and to the Lord in chapter one, verses 16 through 18. She says, I'll go where you go. I'll stay where you stay. I'll die where you die, and there I will be buried. Ruth is all in. She commits herself to whatever may be. Now, I want to say this. Not everything in your life requires this kind of commitment, and it would be unhealthy if you committed yourself to this degree to absolutely everything. But regarding that which you commit to the Lord, process lacks punctuation, meaning there isn't a period. There's no exclamation mark or no expected ending. This commitment from Ruth to the, is the very epitome of covenant, which is why it's read at so many weddings. Ruth doesn't place a period or an exclamation mark on her covenant with Naomi, except that of death. Can I ask you, brother, sister, family, is there anything in your life that you're committed to like that? What in your life are you committed to like that? What are you this devoted to? Are you that devoted to your spouse? How about to your children? How about to your calling? Your relationship with God? What about the dreams that he's put deep down inside of you and the gifts that he's put inside of you? Do they get this kind of devotion? And I'll ask, really? Do your choices and actions and plans line up with this kind of commitment? Or do you place a punctuation on your commitments? See, there are people and purposes, please hear this today. There are people and purposes that God has called you to alone. 
And there are reasons that you were put on this planet. And it is for these that you need to be a person committed to the process, committed to the work and the waiting. There are those who make commitments with great intentions, but it's the process, the work and the waiting that cuts the fruition short. Dreams of living debt-free, but we're uncomfortable with tithing or with saving. The dream of a healthy marriage, but we're uncomfortable with the idea of waiting, maybe even physically, if we're single. Did she just say that? Yes, she did. Or the work of putting the other person first in your relationship if you're already married. Here's one that I keep bumping into. Maybe you feel called to a profession, but you won't fill out the application to school. There is a process. There is a covenant. There is work in the waiting. And see, the sad reality is that there are callings and purposes and plans that God intended to bring about and through individuals that never happened. And it's not because God failed, but because humanity and their humanity failed. But this is the importance of covenant. Are you hearing me today? This is the importance of covenant. Process requires commitment, not punctuation. Otherwise, it isn't a process, it's an until I feel like it. Sure, I'll do that until I'm tired. I'll do that until the person I don't like is telling me to do that. Covenant is the answer to winning in the wait. So what have you committed to the Lord? What do you need to commit to the Lord? And what do you need to commit to him without punctuation? Covenant is the answer. And I felt the Lord give this to me today. There might be some in this room today that you are committed to something that you shouldn't be. There are some in this room that have this kind of devotion towards something that is a relationship killer, an activity that's stealing, stealing, killing, or destroying your mental, spiritual, and physical health. In this case, covenant is still the answer because God makes a covenant with us and we come into covenant with him. This alignment heals us. So you can bring that that thing that you feel like you've got a connection to or it's got a hold on you, whatever it may be, you can bring that to the feet of Jesus and he can heal that. His covenant with us, he says that he will never break his covenant with us. All right, so let's go to chapter two and we learn that process is practical. Someone say practical. Ruth makes a promise to Naomi, but then she seeks a way to honor her commitment. In verse 2-2, we see, well, I'm going to just tell you right now, in chapter 2, Ruth gets to work. She, are you, were we just talking about that? I'm going to show you how she does it. She doesn't just get to work in words. We get to see that process is practical. In Ruth 2-2, Ruth, we read this, and Ruth the Moabite, that was hard to say, Moabitess said to Naomi, let me pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. 
In 2.7, we read this, she went into the field and she worked steadily from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. And then in 2.17, so Ruth gleaned in the field until the evening, and then she threshed the barley that she had gathered, and it amounted to an ephah, which means a basketful. If you find yourself waiting today for that which God has promised you, for that which you have prayed for, don't overlook the practical things God has placed in front of you. They may be the thing that God has sent your way as the stepping stones to that which you have prayed for. Again, in this scripture, we don't have an account of an angel giving direction or a prophet telling Ruth her next steps of what to do. But Ruth does the next right thing according to what the scripture already said about her. You may have missed it. It's actually found in Leviticus 23:22. God issues a decree to his people and it says, When you reap the harvest, thank you very much. She's great. Look at her. She's being all sneaky. Probably shouldn't have called her out like that. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Does anybody know what a gleaning is? All right, I'm going to tell you, gleaning is when someone already goes through the harvest and then there's stuff left over. When I was a kid, I had two farmers in my family, and it was my job to go behind them and to pick up the crops that they missed. And so like my grandfather planted and then would harvest green beans. And so I got to put on adult-sized hat and gloves and then get out into the field and then look for the things they missed, and that's gleaning. It's awful (laughs) to an eight-year-old. And so this is what she does. But here's the deal. So Ruth says to her mother-in-law, let me go glean behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. And she knows this because at some point Naomi told her this is what the scripture says about her. But an angel doesn't show up and say, hey, Ruth, you should go glean. A prophet doesn't knock on the door and say, hey, Ruth, you should go glean. Ruth just knows the scripture. And so she goes, do, she does what the scripture tells her to do. I'm going to go glean because that's what the scripture told me to do. And then she ends up threshing, which is not fun either. She's just beating. She's like pulling it apart. And at the end of the day, she has a basket full where they were going to starve. This is God's provision for them. This is God's provision for them. And then here's what God said to me. This is what jumped out to me. There have been so many times in my life when I've been waiting and I'm begging God, just send me a prophet, God. You've done it too. Just send me someone to confirm this word in my heart. Can someone just knock on the door and just tell me the next thing to do, God? Can I just come to this altar and have someone prophesy over me? And I will get into a place of absolute frustration, waiting on God to give me a dream or to speak to me. And I'm so thankful that we have the Holy Spirit of God in me, in us. And he speaks to us and he gives us a word. But sometimes we are in a place of waiting. And when I get frustrated and I finally go back to the word of God, 
I run into the answer. And here's what I heard God tell me to tell you today. Are you ready for this? God has already spoken over you about who you are. God has already given you everything that you need. Did you hear that? I know you're waiting, but he's already spoken over you everything you need. Sometimes it's a little too practical for us. And so we miss it. Ruth got out into a field and she just obeyed the scripture. She just did the right thing. See, Luke 16.10 tells me that whoever can be trusted with little can also be trusted with very much. Sometimes we're in a place of waiting and God is proving us in the process, letting us go through practical so that we can prove to be faithful stewards with what he's already given us. Jesus, the scripture shows us that we will be known by our fruit. You know, I love this because when we read chapter two, verse seven, that account is not the narration of scripture. I'm gonna read it again. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. That's not scripture telling you what she did. That's the eyewitness account of those watching her. And the reason that's important is because they're speaking to Boaz, who will become her future husband, her kinsman redeemer, who will rescue her and Naomi. And they talk to him about how hard she works and about her consistency. See, there's a hard truth for all of us, and it's this, that people are watching. And so I, I wanna ask you, who's watching you? And the answer is, there's somebody watching you, so think about it, think about it. Who's watching you? Is it an unbelieving family member? Is there a child in your life watching you, learning to believe God by watching you? And this might sound silly, but sometimes I make choices now because I ask myself, what will me in 10 years want to know about me? Like future you will look back on this moment. Who's watching you? But there are some very practical things and that was God's provision for her and Naomi. And there are some practical places that you can show up in your life right now. There are practical things you can be doing right now if you're in the middle of a process, if you're waiting, if you're working in the wait. And they look like things like prayer and reading the word and being in community. And so I'm going to give a shameless plug right now for small groups. Small groups are your way of being in community. They're your way of being in a circle of people who will have your back and know your story and be able to pray with you and love you and, and stay connected to you so that when, when things happen in your life, there's someone who will witness it and know it and gather around you. But that's something very practical that you can do. And in August, there's gonna be a training for anyone who would wanna host a small group and we'll walk you through the process.
And there's some of you who are waiting on God to show you your next steps, and there's something very practical you can do with that as well. And it looks like joining a team here at Calvary. And there's a join a team, and this is not announcement time. This is real. These are practical steps you can do to show God that you're faithful with little so that he will give you more. There's a join a team July 9th, and you can become part of one of our family ministry teams in our nursery, in our kids, in our youth, or in any of our other teams. But there are practical things that you can do right now. But lastly, process will align our perspective. Say perspective. See, in our story, I'm gonna go ahead and bring you to a close here with what's going on in our story. Naomi shares with Ruth, because Boaz shows up on the scene. He sees her working hard in the field. And it's those that are his servants that say, oh, this lady, Ruth, she's been working all day and all night. And he actually gives her permission to not just work along the edges, but to work in the middle as if she belongs to his household. And he invites her to a meal and he sends her home with a big meal for Naomi. He's like, don't go home empty-handed to your mother-in-law. It's like, good advice, man. (laughs) And then while Naomi is eating, and she's asking Ruth about her day, Naomi says, Boaz, that's where you were? He is your Goel which is Hebrew for kinsman redeemer. And this is something else that God has set up in scripture already for Ruth and for his people. There is a law for the Hebrew people that said that if a man were to die and to leave his wife without any sons, to keep his legacy, that his brother or the nearest of kin would be allowed to marry that woman on his behalf. And this would redeem the deceased and his name, as well as the widowed woman. So then Naomi tells Ruth what she is to do according to their Jewish custom to invite Boaz to be her Goel, her kinsman redeemer. It's kind of a marriage proposal. And Ruth says this in 3, 5, chapter 3, verse 5, I will do whatever you say. And when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, because this is the harvest season and there's actually like a festival that goes with it, he went to lie down over at the far end of the grain pile and Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, which was part of this process, and lay down. And in the middle of the night, something startled the man. It's probably his bare feet. I can't sleep with my feet uncovered. And he turned, and there was a woman laying at his feet, and he said, who are you, he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are my guardian redeemer of our family. This was the process of inviting Boaz to be her kinsman redeemer. This was the marriage proposal. And if he spread the corner of his garment, it would be him promising to cover Ruth, 
take her into his family and provide for her and her family. And this is his response. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now my daughter, do not be afraid. I will do whatever you ask. So Ruth, a Gentile woman who could have left Naomi at the onset of this story, she humbles herself. She obeys her mother-in-law and she went and she lay at the feet of Boaz. She put herself in a vulnerable position. He could have rejected her. He could have taken advantage of her. But Ruth literally and physically changed her position, which changed her reality. Boaz accepted her invitation and even went through the legal process of making sure that she would be provided for her and Naomi. So I want to talk about this physical shift of changing her position. What might have been Ruth's perspective? Because we don't know how long she lay there in the middle of the night at his feet in the dark. If you read a few verses before this, Ruth, or sorry, Naomi gives very specific instructions. She goes, mark where he lays down because there's other men there and it would be quite embarrassing for her to go lay at the feet of someone else. But it's so dark, she has to memorize where he lays down. And it's so dark that he actually says, wait, who are you? Even though he had only talked to her maybe the day before. And so it's so dark in this place, but she's at his feet in this vulnerable position. So what is her perspective? See, going through the process will change the way you see things on the other side of that process. But you have to go through the process to gain that perspective. Some of you might know the name of Florence Chadwick. In 1952, she attempted to swim the 26 miles between Catalina Island and the California coastline. 26 miles, did you just hear that? Now, everyone who knew that she was going to do this had no doubt about her. She had already set multiple records. She had been a swimmer from her young age, and she had everything that she needed. As she set out to swim in the cold waters, boats flanked her. They were on either side of her to make sure that sharks didn't attack her. And should she get tired, they were ready to scoop her up and put her into one of those boats. And in one of those boats, her own mother was there to cheer her on. So she had everything that she needed. But about 15 hours into this 26 mile swim, a thick fog set in and Florence began to doubt that she could make it. She told her mother she didn't think that she would be able to finish the swim and her mother told her don't give up you're almost there but for she swam for about another hour when she told them she had had enough and they pulled her out of the water and as she sat in the boat she found out that she had stopped swimming just one mile away from her destination at a news conference the next day 
she said. All I could see was the fog. I think that if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. Two months later, she tried again. And the same thick fog set in. But she succeeded in reaching Catalina Island. Even though she couldn't see the shoreline, she said that she kept a mental image of that shoreline in her mind as she swam, reminding herself that it was there. And she made it. And not only did she make it that time, but she would go on to swim the Catalina Channel on two other occasions, keeping the shoreline in her perspective. Family, it is in the process of trusting the Lord, humbling ourselves, laying at His feet, obeying His words and commands, trusting Him, working in the waiting, that we gain the ability to see when we cannot see. Hebrews 12:1 tells us, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, which Ruth is a part of that, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. He is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, because for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. Consider Him the example who endeared such opposition from sinners so that you don't grow weary and lose heart. Don't grow weary and lose heart. Don't stop a mile before your destination because you can't see. But learn how to see when you can't see by keeping your eyes on Jesus. He has been faithful. He will be faithful. And all things work together for our good in Him. I'm going to close with this. God keeps His promises. So if you're waiting and you're going through the process, hear this today. God keeps His promises. And the story is full of promises. Ruth keeps her promise to Naomi. Boaz keeps his promise to Ruth. And in this union, something really beautiful happens. A child is born and his name is Obed. And Obed is the father of Jesse, who is the father of David, who would actually be King David. And through this line, the long-awaited Messiah would come. And so here's what I want to tell you today, is that this story, this very practical, doing the next right thing, going through the process, winning in the wait, this story of Ruth is your story. It's my story because it gives us Jesus. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? I'd love to pray with you today. This story of faithful work and the waiting is your story and mine. 
And you might be waiting, you might be in the in-between, but there is winning in the wait. And you can trust that God is in your process. God is not a liar that he should abandon you. He keeps his promises. And he is a God who is active and present. He sees you where you are. And he knows what you came into this place with. And you might be like Ruth or Naomi. You might have experienced great loss and find yourself in a time where your world is shifting and changing. And God is calling you today to trust him again, to follow him again, to believe him again. Take his yoke upon you, it's easy, his burden is light, his promises for you are yes and amen. God sees where you are. Before we get a chance to pray for those of you in this house that need special prayer, I'd like to pray for those who maybe you have a special need where you need to commit your whole life to the Lord. See, there was a time in my life when I realized that I needed to surrender all of me to God. That looks like me saying yes to him, being the Lord of my life. And doing that, I accepted his mercy, his love, his forgiveness, his grace. And then I said yes to whatever he wanted in my life, and whatever my life that he would want it to be. Whatever he wanted to remove from my life would be removed. And you might be here today and ready to have that moment, a moment like that with the Lord. And we wanna pray for you and pray with you. Maybe you walked with the Lord at some other point, but then you've walked away from him since then. Today is a day of recommitment of that covenant with God. He's ready to bring you in. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.